This week on Wealth Track, Christine Benz on how we should be rethinking our financial plans after COVID-19. The fact that it's a health crisis and for some an economic crisis does call attention to the fact that most of us do have some uninsured health care costs. So it's it's wise of us to, to incorporate them into our financial plan. Morningstar's personal finance guru this week on Consuelo Mack WealthTrack. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, ClearBridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of WealthTrack. I'm Consuelo Mack. COVID-19 has affected just about every aspect of our professional and personal lives, including the state of our finances. Whether you are a loved one or among the more than 20 million Americans who lost their jobs in the spring of 2020 in the depths of the lockdowns, or one of the millions of Americans who saw their retirement portfolios plunge in the shortest bear market on record in February and March, and if you stayed invested have benefited from the market's rebound, or if you or a loved one are among the hundreds of thousands who have been stricken by COVID, your finances have been affected. Financial services firm Morningstar has also been paying attention. In a recent article, What the Coronavirus Means for the Future of Financial Planning, Its Director of Personal Finance, Christine Benz, addressed the issue, and we have asked her to enlighten us. Benz, a WealthTrack regular, is an acknowledged personal finance guru. She has held the title of Morningstar's Director of Personal Finance since 2008. She is one of the most productive and helpful people I know. She writes daily personal finance columns for Morningstar, does interviews and podcasts, and is the author of several books, including 30-Minute Money Solutions, a step-by-step guide to managing your finances, and also the Morningstar Guide to Mutual Funds, five-star strategies for success. I began the interview by asking Benz why COVID has made it necessary to rethink what our financial goals are. Well, some people have had a change in their income or in their job situation where I think um, we've seen job losses concentrated both at the young ends of the spectrum, as well as among older adults, which is a little bit different from the last financial downturn where older adults held on to their jobs a little better than younger people. Some older adults may be contemplating early retirement, which would obviously necessitate a complete uh, revisiting of the financial plan. And then I think it's just been a fact of life that many of us have found ourselves with a little extra time, a little extra time for introspection to think about what we're trying to achieve with our careers, with our lives more broadly. And that may necessitate another look at the retirement plan or the total financial plan as well. But is this, uh, you know, on a level of magnitude, you know, greater than, you know, what we've seen that would be t- in a typical year? Well, I would say it's it's just been an odd year in so many respects where we had that bear market in the first quarter, a quick reversal, and have had really steep gains from stocks ever since. Right. Um, 
so that's been something that I think investors have had to wrestle with. From the standpoint of, of taxes and other changes that we might see, I would say that there hasn't been anything cataclysmic that would necessitate big changes to financial plans. You know, one of the things that you have pointed out uh, to your readers and your audience and to me um, is that it, it's really brought home uh, health care <laughs> as, as an issue. Let's address, you know, specifically, uh, you know, the health care expenses and talk to us about how out-of-pocket expenses have been going up anyhow and um, what the implications are for planning now that it's been highlighted by COVID-19. The fact that it's a health crisis and for some an economic crisis does call attention to the fact that most of us do have some uninsured health care costs. So it's it's wise of us to, to incorporate them into our financial plan, where you look at average per capita out of health out of pocket health care spending is over $1,000 a year. For older adults, it's much higher than that. Mm. And so thinking about that with respect to having liquid health care reserves set aside, but also being smart about if you have a choice about your health care plan, really thinking about your own situation, thinking about your ability to shoulder out-of-pocket costs, your health care preferences, deductibles, the whole package when choosing between health care plans, because typically people do have a choice if they have employer-provided health care. Give us kind of the pros and cons of, of the high deductible plan, which you just mentioned, versus the traditional plans. T typically, people do have a choice to choose a traditional PPO or a high deductible plan. The high deductible plans have been coming on strong. As their name suggests, the deductibles can be high, and so that means oftentimes higher out-of-pocket costs. But the thing that financial planning people really love about the high deductible plans is that they come with these health savings accounts, which right. allow people who are covered by the plans to save in the, in the HSA and use those funds either to pay healthcare costs as they incur them, or better yet, and this is a, an ideal situation for people who have the wherewithal to do this, better yet you would use the HSA as kind of an ancillary retirement savings vehicle where you are funding the HSA but actually using non-HSA assets to pay for healthcare costs as you incur them. And the real reason why you'd want to do that is because the HSA is pre-tax dollars going in, tax-free compounding as long as the money stays inside the HSA, and then when you use the funds eventually to pay for qualified health care expenditures, those two will be tax-free. So it's the only triple tax-advantaged uh, tax-sheltered vehicle in the whole tax code. Right. The PPO offers more certainty. And that's why a lot of consumers do still like that idea of not having high out-of-pocket costs. Um, you do have more certainty. You do not have the opportunity to use an HSA. One thing I would say about the high deductible plans is oftentimes they're subsidized by the employers. So they may actually be pretty attractive for consumers because the employer may want to be nudging you to choose the high deductible plan instead of the traditional plan. And I know Morningstar rates them. So what are what's you know one or two of the top rated uh, by Morningstar? Right. We initiated this ratings effort on health savings accounts a few years ago, and we've been revisiting it every year. 
And we really rate the HSAs for two use cases. So we rate them for people who are using them as they were intended as kind of a spend as I go vehicle. And from that standpoint, we had two top performers in the 2020 review. One was Fidelity, which was mm -hmm. also on our list in 2019. Lively was there as well. So these are companies that have low expense options and the savings vehicle is also, it has a decent, not great interest rate, but a decent interest rate. So we also rate HSAs for people who are using them as investment vehicles. From this standpoint, Fidelity's plan again came out on top. It was also our top performer for HSA investors in 2019. So Fidelity has made a pretty serious effort in this space. We think it's a good one-stop option for HSA investors, whether they plan to spend from their HSAs or use them as investment vehicles. Christine, long-term care, you know, it, it used to be the plans were much more generous than they are now. Is long-term care still an option that most people should consider? It's an option that some people should consider, Consuelo, but it's a not a great marketplace in so many respects. People who thought they were doing the right thing in purchasing long-term care insurance policies have gotten hit with these really high premium increases. Increasingly, we've got these hybrid long-term care products that are getting sold, and they've really taken up a lot of market share that traditional long-term care policies took up. And basically what that is, is a life insurance policy that has a long-term care rider bolted on it. And right. there's a lot to like about that optionality that if you don't have long-term care expenses, you'll receive, or your heirs will receive the full life insurance benefit. Um, but the policies are pretty opaque. It can be difficult to comparison shop. And so if people are interested in insuring against long-term care, I think it's good to get an objective party in there to help you navigate because it's, it's a complicated marketplace, but it, it is an option for some consumers. All right. And, and I, I will add that a lot of financial planners aren't really equipped or knowledgeable about these products either, which is an issue. It's absolutely true, which is why sometimes if you're working with a financial planner, they'll have a broker who they work yes. with. And I think that's something that you want is someone who doesn't care whether you choose an insurer that will look across the whole field of products and help you make choices. So right. um, look for someone who isn't wedded to a single product line. If you can't find a good long-term care plan, or, or do you actually set aside funds that you intend to use for long-term care. How, how does that work? I like the idea of setting aside a long-term care fund. So if you're, you've decided to forego long-term care insurance, or a big thing is that you may not qualify at a mm. certain life stage, it's either just unaffordable or you may have health conditions that yes. might preclude you from being able to purchase it. So if that's your plan to self-fund long-term care expenses if they should arise, I do like the idea of setting aside a fund and segregating those assets from your in-retirement spendable assets. That way, those funds will be there if you need them. If you don't need them, you can earmark them for heirs or some other purpose. Spend a little time looking at the cost of long-term care because your eyes might pop out of your head when you right. see that um, the typical uh, private room in a long-term care facility today is about $100,000 a year. Let's talk about the importance of liquidity, and it's something that we've been talking about a lot on Wealth Track. 
I like the idea of people keeping liquid reserves. It's kind of financial planning 101 and the usual rule of thumb is three to six months worth of living expenses, but actually taking some time to customize how much you have in liquid reserves based on your own situation. So certainly for people who are high earners, think about holding more in liquid reserves, um, maybe more like a year's worth of living expenses, because what we find is that typically it takes high income people longer to replace jobs if they've lost them. If you are a, a single earner and you're not part of a dual income household, I think that argues for having a little more in liquid reserves. Life stage is also a factor. One thing we've mm -hmm. seen is that when older adults have lost jobs, they have taken longer to replace them than their younger counterparts. Oftentimes it goes hand in hand with being higher paid or maybe in a more specialized career path. Those are higher, harder jobs to replace. So folks in those situations, as should contractors, you know, people who are working in the gig economy or, right. you know, on a contract basis, they should have more like a year's worth of liquid reserves. And, you know, what's interesting about this, Consuelo, is that this difficulty in amassing liquid reserves isn't just a lower income problem. That uh, Pew Research did some, did some surveys a few years ago where they looked at people across the income spectrum. And yes, lower income folks tended to have a difficult time amassing three months worth of liquid reserves. But even 25% of higher income workers wow. did not have three months in living expenses. So it really cuts across the income spectrum. Not having those liquid reserves adds a lot of stress to people's lives. Liquid reserves are a problem uh, in that where do you put the money because interest rates are so low. Yeah, it, I think it's something that you just kind of have to live with rather than trying to reach for higher yields because, as you say, you're lucky to earn a positive return on an inflation-adjusted basis. Mm -hmm. You may not even be positive. So shop around. There are services that can actually look for the highest yielding accounts that are available at any given point in time. You might consider something like that. Um, but don't overdo liquid reserves. I talked about you know okay. right-sizing your liquid reserves. There's a real opportunity cost to having too much in cash. Um, bond investors have benefited as, as interest rates have declined. Poor cash investors have had to settle for lower and lower yields, and they don't get that capital appreciation that accompanies interest rate decreases for bond investors. So definitely don't overdo your liquid, your liquid reserves. Right. So what are you recommending? Well, I would say that for most people using a taxable account, so non-retirement assets is the best place to hold liquid reserves. If you're retired and already drawing upon your IRA, there's probably no real difference. You want to hold your liquid reserves where you can access it. But a couple of other options that people might take advantage of would be a Roth IRA. So the nice thing about Roths is that you can withdraw those contributions at any time and for any reason without incurring taxes Penalty. or penalties. So it's kind of an ancillary savings vehicle. Mm -hmm. And then health savings accounts, I think, can also be used in this context. So you can use them for health expenses, certainly. But even if you've been using your HSA as an investment vehicle with a plan to not spend from it, if you need to access funds that you had previously used non-HSA funds um, it, to uh, pay for healthcare expenses, you can go back into the HSA and tap it 
without any penalty. So that's another idea to consider. So another feather in the cap of HSAs. So, so run that by me again. So you can actually tap for an, an emergency funds that are not healthcare related, your HSA? So- Say in 2019, I had some healthcare expenses and I didn't touch my HSA. I used uh, taxable assets to pay right. for those healthcare expenses. In 2020 or 2021, if I find myself with non healthcare expenses, as long as I've saved those receipts to substantiate the healthcare expenses that I paid out of pocket for, I can go back into the HSA and pull from it without incurring a tax cost or any penalty. Oh, cool. Like, no, HSAs, the, the more you talk about them, and I know you've been recommending them to us for a long time, they have you know, so many neat features. And there's another interesting thing going on too that, that you had uh, mentioned in a report, is that some employers are now helping people with emergency funds. So what's going on there? I love this. So this is an idea to help really automate this process of getting people to save for emergencies. And they're sometimes called rainy day funds or sidecar funds. But the basic idea is that it's mimicking the automation that we all have with 401k plans where the money's coming right out of the paycheck and is going into that emergency savings account. And typically the contributions will stop once you've hit some level. So they don't want you oversaving in these rainy day funds. But the idea is that people really struggle amassing emergency reserves. So the idea is automating it, making it painless, might incentivize people to take advantage of it. No tax breaks typically accompany these accounts, but it's just simple. And I think it's a healthy kind of mental accounting. So if people see an account that is geared toward emergency reserves and they know that that's what it's there for, they might be inclined to use it. So I think it's a great idea. I'd love to see it get more traction. So would I. That is a great idea. So one of the things for retirees, for retirement planning, you know, really, again, in this low interest rate environment, it it is a real challenge, uh, you know, as to what to do. And there's uh, something called TINA, you know, there is no alternative. So many uh, investors and retirees in their search for income, they are basically getting into riskier investments. They're investing, you know, more in stocks because they're not getting uh, any, you know, returns uh, from bonds. So how do you meet that challenge? And and what are you concerned about uh, as people do reach for yield? Yeah, it's always a challenge. It's been a challenge for decades now, right? Right. Where we've seen yields go lower and lower. Um, I think for retirement decumulation, total return is the way to go. And, And, you know, I guess I... I think that retirees often artificially anchor on living off of whatever income their portfolios uh, kick off, but right. it, it really doesn't matter. If you have a portfolio where you've seen your equity assets really appreciate over the past decade, and anyone who has equities in their portfolio has seen a decent amount of growth, my view is that your cash flows for the next couple of years is hiding in plain sight in those appreciated equity assets. So don't be shy about trimming them. You do need growth that accompanies stocks, but you also need to have liquid reserves in case some sort of a weak equity market accompanies the early years of your retirement. So I like the idea of trimming appreciated equity assets, kind of in a create your own dividend type system. Right. 
And, and another thing that you've been recommending is that we really need to lower our withdrawal rates. Is that right from, you know, it used to be 4% annually or 5% even, are those days over? Well, they may be, but I think yeah. the key thing to keep in mind is your life stage and how far you are along in retirement. For people who are further along in retirement, they've really made it because they've circumvented what retirement researchers think of as the big risk in retirement, which is what they call sequence of return risk. And that basically means you retire and the equity market tumbles right after that. Right. And so if you have been retired for 10 years, you can take a more uh, aggressive withdrawal rate. You might even use the required minimum distribution tables to guide how much you take out of your accounts. But the people who need to be more conservative are the ones who are just embarking on retirement because they're the ones for whom that sequence of return risk is real. It's a real possibility, especially given how low yields are today as well as high, how high U.S. equity valuations are. That combination means that realistically there could be some weak returns in the near future. And so I think while you might not need to be conservative right away, you at least need to be flexible so that you can withdraw less if, in fact, a weak equity market occurs early on in your retirement. So just being flexible, I think, is is a huge advantage. Right. And, and another option that you've said that, you know, we might want to consider uh, is annuities. Yes. And it's interesting because annuity payouts are in part keyed off of whatever's going on with the interest rate environment. Yes. Because the insurer can only earn as much as it can safely invest your money in. But another factor factoring into how much liquidity, how much annuities pay out is uh, what's called mortality risk pooling. And that basically means if you buy an annuity, you are in there with other people, some of whom may live a really long time, some of whom may die earlier. And those who die earlier help enlarge the pool for the whole group of people who are in the annuity. So that hasn't gone away. It's still a factor that gives annuities higher payouts than you'd earn on traditional fixed income assets. Now, there are a lot of terrible annuities out there that are very high cost, very opaque. I'm talking about the very simple annuities, a, a single premium immediate annuity or some sort of a deferred income annuity, the very plain vanilla products where you can sort of plug in an amount and get an income stream for the rest of your life. Those products, I think, can be quite attractive. You know, one thing that's different uh, with retirees now than in my parents' generation, for instance, is that um, a lot of retirees are have a lot of debt. So how, how do they handle like mortgage debt, for instance? That is, is that something that we should consider? Definitely. Utilizing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right, Consuelo. More and more retirees are coming into retirement with mortgage debt, also student loan student debt, debt. Mm -hmm. believe it or not. So I think that, you know, we all want to think about our return on investment, our total return on investment. So if you're carrying a mortgage, even if you've got a nice low rate there, you want to think about the safe return that you're earning on your other assets and chances are it doesn't compete. So if you can retire a debt with a 3% interest rate, well, that's a guaranteed 
return on those dollars. And of course, you'd want to make sure that you don't need the liquidity associated with that with the funds that you put toward the mortgage pay down. But nonetheless, I think that that can be something to consider if you are embarking on retirement. Whatever you can do to lower your fixed costs is really attractive, especially given how low yields are. What would you recommend to us for a uh, the one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio? Well, one to consider would be a um, total uh, world index, a total world ETF. So uh-huh. I would recommend Vanguard total world ETF. Um, it's also available in a traditional index fund, but the idea is that it gives you global diversification in a single investment. And I think of this as a really nice antidote to the Robin Hood investors who have been investing in Bitcoin and some more day traders. And, right. right. Mm-hmm. This is a, a, the opposite of that. This is a one and done investment that's incredibly well diversified for people just starting out, especially it gives them a good amount of global exposure. So it's roughly 45% overseas, 55% US. And I think that's a great starting point, especially because we know that these trends tend to flip, that even though foreign stocks have underperformed for a good while now, we may say, see a reversal of that. So I think that that's a good starting point for especially younger investors who are just trying to get their financial footing. Christine Benz, it is always a pleasure to have you on Wealth Track. You've got so much great advice for us. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Consuela. Always my pleasure. At the close of every wealth truck, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. This week's action point is review your financial plans for health care. COVID-19 has been a wake-up call for many Americans. This is a good time to review health care costs and planning for future expenses. Among the recommendations that Ben's made are the considerable tax and investment benefits of health savings accounts for working Americans and having a segregated account devoted to long-term care costs for those close to or in retirement. No matter what your choice, it is important to have a health care plan in place. Next week, in part two of our interview with Christine Benz, she will share her annual financial to-do list for 2021. In this week's extra feature, we asked this super productive person how she organizes her day to get so much done. Please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thanks for fitting us into your busy schedules. Have a lovely weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.